0: Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast. Booyah. Welcome to the Investories Podcast uh, with me, your host, John Cooper. Kyle isn't with me uh, today. He's, uh, he's MIA. Um, no, he had a prior engagement um, so he couldn't couldn't attend this one uh, but hey you've got me and you've got a great interview today we've got Alex in Abnet and Alex is based in Austin uh, he works predominantly in Austin Tampa San Diego and he is absolutely crushing it in uh, what's called infill land development so it's it's development but kind of in inner cities or, or cool neighborhoods was the the frame I guess we uh, we kind of connected on um, both in San Diego in Tampa and in Austin. Uh, This interview is so, so good, even if you're just investing in um, buy and hold single family or or multifamily, because Alex knows these markets. So he goes into detail of kind of performance in the market, what to look out for, trends that are coming up, trends in development, trends in building, um, refurbishment. uh, So great for, for birth strategy. Uh, that kind of stuff so it's it's a really really great uh, and kind of wide ranging interview and then a ton on mindset and training and kind of finding your why and getting getting started that kind of stuff so um so yeah stick around for it and if you could if you really wouldn't mind we'd love for you to go ahead and uh, give us a five star review um we're we're working our butts off to to bring you great content so let's know do you like it do you like the format do you like what we're doing and uh, feel free to drop us an email. Um, you can reach out to us at Investoriespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram, Pod. Uh, so come say hi, and I'll get better at sharing content as well. Uh, feel free to uh, poke me and say, hey, where's the content at, John? And um, without further ado, thank you so much. And here's the episode. Welcome to Investories, Alex in Abnet. Did I say your name right, Alex? You did, yeah. Almost like, Almost like you coached me just before. <laughs> Alex is a, a realtor um, and a general contractor, and we're going to get into all of that. Uh, Alex, heads up, Alex. it's uh, Inabnet Realty Corporation, right, Alex?
1: That's correct, yes.
0: Uh, tell us about, um, about the company.
1: So, the company currently is a residential um, infill real estate development company, and so what that means is I target... Uh, popular neighborhoods um, within San Diego, uh, California, Austin, Texas, and Tampa, Florida, and basically find a distressed house or an older house that was built in the, call it the 1960s to 19, really 1940s to 1970s, um, and the goal is to buy the property, um, tear the old house down, get the approved plans and permits to build a new house new townhomes um, in san diego it's you know primary plus adu and junior adus a lot of the times um, but basically we uh, develop and build uh, and hold uh, luxury products in, in the residential development space
0: love it that's a great uh, a great pitch i feel like you may have uh, been asked that a few times before
1: once or twice yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> But how important is that having that down, right? That's super important if you're, oh, if you're pitching
1: anything to be that type. Yeah, literally. I mean, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, the way that my business works is, you know, I, you know, I have the vision of what needs to happen, but, uh, you know, I've got to formulate a team of, d- uh, designers, engineers to put the product together, um, on construction plans and visually, and then also have to hire a great team of subcontractors to build the product. And if I don't have good teams on both sides, then the deal can go sour pretty fast. So it's, um, you know, um, the implementation of the vision that's in my head uh, is key, and then also just hiring good people.
0: (laughs) That that translation piece, right? Uh, This is what I'm thinking now. How is it in the real world? I love that. How do I
1: get it out of here into into real life yep.
0: <laughs> the processing um, yeah. I want to take it back a, a step if I may um, your, your kind of intro into um, into real estate what, what, did, what were you doing before this what was your kind of early life like?
1: so I've always uh, been somewhat of a outside the box kind of creative individual uh, I'm from Louisiana Shreveport, Louisiana um, and I went to college at Louisiana State University where I got a um, my major was con- uh, construction management so I got a bachelor of science degree in uh, construction management there. Had a few different internships with construction companies um, throughout college in Las Vegas in Denver, and then in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I was, where I had like, you know, I was a laborer uh, wearing stiltoe boots, hard hat, uh, gloves, doing the actual day-to-day, uh, sweat, sweating my butt off. Um, and then also was a part of a project management team um, that was building, you know, more commercial products um, as well. And so once I graduated college, I got a job um, in Southern California. Um, I started off in Newport Beach and was placed on a project in Carlsbad, California, which is North County, San Diego.
0: Yeah, and, represent.
1: Yeah. And uh, the project there was uh, a renovation of the shops at Carlsbad Mall. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the project management team that I was placed with was tasked with hiring the subcontractors to renovate the uh, upper and lower levels of the mall and then build out another portion of the mall. Um, and then after that, I went to another project in Del Mar called One Paseo, um, and we built a four- and six-story office building. Um, on that project, which there were other contractors that managed subs to build um, uh, apartment units and retail buildings. Um, And then from there, I left that company and went to go work for a real estate developer uh, in Chula Vista, which is south San Diego, Uh, I guess outside of the actual city of San Diego, but south, close to the Mexican border. Um, And uh, the developer I worked for had his own in-house general contracting company um and so i was his project manager managing a six-story apartment complex ground up um a um parking garage and a uh, va outpatient clinic so you know i was from louisiana never really had lived in california found myself in san diego the best city in the country um (laughs) really got to learn how the um, from a more high level perspective on the commercial side um, how the construction process works um, how you know from my standpoint as a general contractor uh, on a non-self-performing aspect we basically hire all the subcontractors to do the work to build the product so that means that The subs have to be, you know, they have to know what they're doing. They have to, uh, you know, all work work well together. So it becomes a a group therapy session every day to make sure that these guys are actually building the product right and working well together. Um, So from there, I moved from San Diego to Texas, where I got hooked up with a um, hard money lender uh, that funded residential new development deals in Austin, Texas and Tampa, Florida, So for a span of about a year and a half, two years, uh, I was tasked with traveling from Tampa to Austin, um, meeting with different residential developers that were basically trying to build their own speculative single-family home or townhome projects. So it really gave me a good idea and perspective of how to underwrite these um, new development or infill single-family and townhome new development deals Uh, and really understand the language and what goes into all that. So my background, just to sum it all up, is basically in commercial construction management and then in uh, uh, hard money lending on the residential new construction side. So when you place both of those together, um, it kind of equals, you know, creating my own real estate development business. And then given the fact that I have a college degree in construction management and then four years of on-site experience, I'm able to get my uh, general contractor's license, which I already have in Florida, and then I'm on the in the process of getting it in California.
0: You're straddling those two coasts, um, which yeah. is
1: uh,
0: is kind of funny. So something that was really interesting is you said about um, a therapy session at the end of the day, right? Um, yeah, I, I love that idea. What I find is, um, you know, you look at a lot of people in who who have gone through similar degree programs and similar educational tracks, uh, including like internships as you. Um, they still would need that therapy session and that kind of W two dependency. Yep. What What's the kind of driver or the, the the reference to kind of push beyond that and start your own your own company?
1: Man, you know, I've I just always uh, I always sh- actually struggled working as a W two um, employee, and I mean, I, I still take a salary through my own companies now um, as a W two, but as an owner. So, but as a strictly W2, when you're just kind of starting out, you know, you're just thrown out into the weeds of whatever it is that you're doing, especially in in these random construction projects that I was in. And you just have to, you know, sink or swim and learn, learn the process. In my case, I just knew from the start that I was just like, you know what, like all of these vice presidents uh, and all these business owners, you know, I'm spending 10 to 12 hours a day working on these projects for them uh they may have a bunch of experience and whatnot but I just was like you know what you know all you have to do is just know what you're doing and then you have to hire the right people to perform the work and so once I kind of learned the process which you know there's still so much to learn I'm not saying I know much by any means but once you know the process and understand the big picture of like okay this is how it works. I just need to put this person here and this person here. Then you're kind of able to separate yourself from the W2 life. And then your time then frees up because somebody else is doing those tasks for you.
0: You're in that strategic
1: space, right? Where you're,
0: you're, yeah. you're pushing strategy rather than the day-to-day buttons.
1: Yeah. But for but people that's scary, right? Totally dude. I mean, I mean, hundred percent. I mean, you know, there's nothing's guaranteed. And so like each day is its own new, Uh, challenge because you know i'm the only one that has the vision that's in my head and nobody else can understand that unless i explain it (laughs) so i like that if not
0: you who else right
1: yeah exactly that's the great
0: that's the great frame of it is there any kind of educational pieces or books that have kind of really helped you through through that process
1: yeah so i read um uh, I read a lot through just like audibles. Uh, and so one of my favorite books is called The Magic of Thinking Big by David Swartz. Um, just harps on a lot of like, you know, positive thinking, uh, different strategic ways to get out of ruts um, and really propel yourself forward. Um, I'm a big fan of Grant Cardone and a lot of his books, you know, 10X, um, uh, Sell or Be Sold is a really good one that I've listened to a lot. Um and then real estate-wise, uh, Real Estate Titans is one that um, really describes uh, other real estate developers that have been successful through their careers and how they've done that. Um, and it really harps on the mindset of those guys and gals that, that have been successful in the space because as the ringleader developer, like I was saying earlier to you, like you have to be able to project your vision outward to other people. And you have to have patience for that vision because when you're, you know, especially in my current world, in the residential um, uh, in the residential real estate development world and also construction, those projects, you know, you can look at a project for three to six months before you actually end up buying it. And then it's gonna take 18 to 24 months to complete. So it's a you know could be a two and a half year process. So if you you know work up to the commercial projects, so doing mixed use and multifamily apartments from ground up, I mean, dude, those those can last from the time you underwrite the deal and run the numbers to the time you purchase it. Those could last four to six years. So you really have to know what you're doing uh, from the start of it and really push that vision and be patient um, from the start. Otherwise, somebody else is going to convince you otherwise.
0: Yeah, and I guess you have to be convinced of the, of the model, right? Um, in, yeah. In a six year cycle, it's uh, yeah, yeah it's kind of,
1: well, that's kind of why, a long time. You know, I mean, that's why I start on the. Um, a lot of people start with like renovation projects where they like leave the structure and just renovate it inside and either sell it or hold it. Um, you know, because I come from the commer- the, um, the 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 uh, construction side of things, I've kind of just you know I did one um, one duplex renovation, but. Um, I've really kind of skipped the renovation world and gone straight into, in, into construction. It's just, you know, I know a lot of people uh, run away from that because it's just, it, it requires more money involved, more risk. You really have to know what you're doing. And so at the end of the day, um, you know, my business strategy is to buy, build, and hold the asset mm-hmm. versus sell it so that uh, the investors that invest with me can actually own a portion of the asset at the end. Um, if they want to be cashed out, they can. Uh, but for example, if you know I'm building a, uh, you know, call it a three-unit, three-story townhome in Point Loma, that each of those units are you know going to be pulling ten plus thousand dollars a month in rental values, because it's it's a luxury product that was developed and built by my companies. You know, the investors don't have to do anything; they just collect the mailbox money
0: love that yeah and that's a, who doesn't love free money right
1: yeah <laughs> yeah well
0: free free's a, a loose term right and yeah, i love yeah. that and and for those um you know i i was sort of skeptical of grant cardone but the messaging in in a lot of his books is really solid um 10x is, is a really good book it's kind of like um a slap in the face like you you're thinking too small I, I really enjoy that um totally that message yeah it kind of uh it's good to hear sometimes
1: yeah, no he he's actually from the same. So I'm I'm from Louisiana, so is he. So I uh, you know I kind of related a lot to uh, his like upbringing and the way he talks. So it's it's funny.
0: No, yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, you did say earlier that you teamed. Did you team up or you worked with or for a uh, private money lender?
1: Yeah, so I I, I was a W two employee for that uh, for that fund, um, and basically I was a outside salesman. Uh, traveling from Austin to Tampa, meeting with guys like me now that need money for their projects and financing for their projects. So I got to see from like a lender's perspective, how those guys operate, what their needs are. And then I utilize my past construction experience to really be able to know how to talk the language, um, you know, their payment process, their draw process throughout the construction phase and all that type of stuff. So
0: yeah, and I guess invi- advisory to the, to the company, right, that you're – in terms of risk and, and kind of underwriting that risk.
1: Correct. Yeah, yeah. So there was a, there was already a knowledge base of kind of the process that they were going through. Just my knowledge base was more just strictly a general contractor in the commercial side of things, dealing with 25 to $75 million construction budgets. Mm-hmm. And then when I got with the lender, those construction budgets that I was dealing with were on a way smaller scale – to you know, call it anywhere from five hundred thousand to you know two million dollar construction budgets. So you're like, this is easy. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, not, I mean, you know, I, I was. It, it wasn't really like this is easy, but it was just like, you know what, I can do this. Yeah, you know, you know, it's you know, it's it, just understanding the process and the dollar values and how the financing works is key.
0: Yeah and I, I deal with contracts a lot and and actually this it's like a scale rather than like this, the same challenges or the same features are there on like pretty much everything obviously the larger it gets the the kind of more risk there is to, as a number but the, the fundamentals kind of remain the same Very um, true in in terms of I wanted to switch to kind of what you guys what you do now um in terms of for people that don't know what infill development is what is it
1: Yeah, so um, I guess we can, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to be listening to this, but we'll start in Tampa, Florida. So in Tampa, the neighborhoods that I'm interested in are uh, Beach Park, Sunset Park, and uh, Davis Islands. So in in those neighborhoods, um, what I do is I look for older houses uh, that are zoned residentially um, that, you know or 50 to 70 years old. And so then I run the numbers, uh, see what newer homes that are being built close by sell for. Um, and then I submit an offer on the lot, go through due diligence, close on the lot, uh, and then end up building, You know, get uh, approved plans and permits to build a new structure. And then hire my general contracting company to build that um, new new house, which can take that whole process from the purchase of the land to, to, until the end of construction is anywhere from, you know, call it 12 to 18 months, depending on how long the approval process takes from the city. So I basically replicate that same thing in Austin, Texas. In Austin, it's your uh, Zilker, Barton Hills, Travis Heights area, um, and your Terrytown area in Crestview, uh, which are just already established neighborhoods, popular neighborhoods were new uh, luxury homes and townhome projects are being built, and I just hire my own general contracting company to build the product. In Texas, there is no general contractor's license requirement, so John, you can literally create a general contracting business today in Texas and say that you're going to build a house. So it's like wow. pretty pretty wild. And so then the third market would be San Diego, um, and the areas of interest there are uh, Point Loma, North Park. Ocean Beach, Pacific Beach, um, and then, you know, I buy the lot, go through the approval process to build, and then hire my general contracting business to, uh, to build the product. So it's, it's an already established neighborhoods. It's like basically the neighborhoods that you drive through all the time, so they're mm-hmm. always being seen, not like in the middle of nowhere where there's, no, where there's nothing uh, developed yet. So that's that's what infill residential Got it. Um, development is. Yeah, love that. No, that's really
0: really useful. Um, and North Park's a great neighborhood. That's that's kind of on my on my radar. That's where I'd like to own something. of, You know, six unit, high quality, kitschy,
1: kind of vi- retro vintage kind of. Yeah, that's uh, the right. thing about North Park is it, it's very um, artsy. So mm-hmm. you get like a lot of uh, you get a lot of units. You can build you know a lot of units, a lot of ADUs on um, single lots. Um, and uh, I just I, I tell this to people a lot, just to, uh, so, to, so that they understand the differences between the cities that I'm involved in. But um, Tampa, Florida, is basically like a double A market, uh, just as far as like the um, difficultiness of the development. Austin would be like a triple A, and then San Diego is about a is you know a major league market. It, it's just it's way harder to get in um, involved. It takes way longer to get approvals to build, um, but the, yeah. the good thing about San Diego is that you get, you know, massive returns on the backside because the in values are so high.
0: Yeah, and the and the yeah the rents are pretty uh, pretty quick at going up around here. Well, they they go up fairly um, fairly quick. Um, in terms of so you, those those three markets, in terms of the changes in the last twelve months, so we've seen a lot of um, a lot of kind of. Changes in rates, things like that, but maybe more on the on the specifics of the market, and then probably the projections in the next twelve months. What what are the kind of big big changes that are coming up?
1: Well, I mean, as everybody knows, the interest rates were increased um, just to basically kind of stop the inflation. I think the uh, the government just forcefully did that just because there was just so much inflation growth in the whole country, um, but. It's actually affected, you know. Being involved in multiple places, uh, I kind of be, you know, I'm able to see the differences uh, of the impact of what that of of what's happened in those uh, regions. And so, for example, Tampa's kind of held pretty strong. Uh, it's dropped maybe five to ten percent, uh, but in the areas that I'm involved in, you know, Sunset Park, Beach Park, and uh, Davis Island, uh, where I'm looking at deals, um, you know the values have held strong, maybe dropped a little bit, um, on the, on the buy-in side, um, and, and on the exit side, uh, in, in Austin, uh, Austin out of the three places that I'm looking at and involved in has dropped the most. Um, I think over the last two to three years, Austin saw massive inflation, um, increase just, you know, somebody's buying a, buying a lot at this price, the next year, it's like increased by three hundred to four hundred thousand, and then that just kept going for for you know a handful of years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Austin's dropped about thirty percent. Wow. On the backside. So, for example, um, the lots that I'm looking at in the Zilker, Barton Hills, Travis Heights, Terrytown areas um, were selling you know in a range of like one point four to one point six million. And these are old homes these are like 800 to 1200 square feet houses that would you know that were built in the 60s so uh they were just you know why it was so expensive was because of where they're located in in the city it just was like advantageous spot so a year ago they're in that price range of 1.4 to 1.6 now they're being listed about a year later they're being listed at like one million to one point four million. Wow. Um, okay. But the but the issue is is that the backside uh, values of the new construction homes has dropped so much has dropped thirty thirty five percent that those lots are really worth seven hundred fifty thousand to like nine hundred fifty thousand. So what's happening in Austin is that I've got you know. 10 offers out there at the $750,000, $800,000 range but people are wanting $1.1 to $1.2 for these (laughs) teardown lots so it's just, you know, that's why I think that, you know, to answer your question on what's going to happen in the next, you know, 12 months I think, uh, you know, I don't like to play devil's advocate and I'm a really positive person all the time. Mm -hmm. But I think that the market's going to continue to drop down a little bit longer, maybe like the next four to six months, especially in in Austin to where we'll see a lot of those lots I'm referring to in the city go closer to 800 to 900, maybe even 700,000. So um, Austin's taking the biggest hit. It's like it's at a standstill right now. Like a lot of people are having difficulty buying lots in my in my role um, or like with like what I do in the residential infill world, uh, residential infill development world because of that. And so uh, I've kind of diverted my attention to the Tampa and San Diego markets because of that. So, um, and then the third place, San Diego uh, has, you know, I submitted an offer in Carlsbad last week. Uh, it, it was listed at, I think 1.1 at the last second, they increased the, the um, offer price to, or the listing price to like 1.3. Um, and so, you know, I had two hours to submit an offer. So I'm, I'm on the phone with the realtor. He's like, dude, we got to hurry up. And then I submitted a over asking price offer and I still lost out. So it's like, what's, what's happening is, is the San Diego market has, has seemed to remain strong um, mm-hmm. and continue to move forward. Austin's taken a massive step back. And then Tampa's kind of taken a little step back. So overview picture of all three of those places has been like really interesting to see with the rising interest rates. But I, I still think it's going to, um, like there's still going to be a drop in the next six six months until that, we start. That was, I mean, I,
0: I do a little bit of reading on it. And that, that was my, my take is we still have high prices, uh, in certain areas, we still have high interest rates. Something has to has to give. I, I obviously look from a residential perspective, and um, it's like, well, when homes no longer are affordable, the price has to either come down or the rate has
1: to come down. So I guess we'll, yeah. <laughs> everyone's
0: waiting to see which one that is.
1: Right. But, you I mean, like, especially in those three cities, I mean, again, I mean, I'm being totally honest here. I don't actually know if this is true or not. I just hear everybody say this. But I hear everybody say all the time, it's like, you know, there's a... There's a housing shortage, right? Um yeah. And really, all three of those markets, like you hear that all the time. If, is that true? I have absolutely no idea, but you know, I hear it all the time. And so, mm-hmm. if that's the case, then you know, we have a housing shortage with people trying to buy and develop new homes. And you know, there's been a, a slowdown of that. So, you know, maybe more people are renting. They're you know, getting into apartments versus like buying a house. And so, it's just it's been an interesting, interesting time. I
0: think that's the case and then that will mean rents can kind of go gangbusters basically to I know to literally absorb so people. That's, yeah
1: that's what I that that's what I've heard as well is that like now the now the you know if you own real estate and you're renting out your piece of real estate you have a massive leg to stand on and be like hey you know I'm going to increase these rents you know downtown San Diego downtown Austin downtown Tampa mm-hmm. you know they're everybody's increasing their stuff right now
0: no, that's that's it's super interesting. In ter- we were talking about rates. In terms of um, you know financing a project, can you break down what a, a typical project would look like? How you uh, manage the financing piece of it?
1: Yeah, so there's there's multiple ways of going about doing that. So uh, you have your um, um, uh, like your banks, which are your um, uh, primary market. I couldn't think of the word. I'm like first first. Uh, anyways primary market, which are uh, the banks, which are around, you know, a year ago, they were around like the four to 5% range, um, interest rate range. And now things have escalated so much that banks are around the six to eight and even 9% range, um, which makes the secondary markets like your hard money lenders, um, and your private money lenders in the 10 to 14 to even 15% range currently. So, um, you fast, you know, you go backwards. Excuse me. Uh, a year ago, and like I was saying, banks were at four to five percent, and the hard money, private money world was at the seven um, to nine percent range. So it was a lot. You know, people, all those lenders wanted to get a lot more loans done at, at that time. It was just like a lot hotter because the rate was so much lower. But how there's there's three different scenarios on how I underwrite a deal. In order to project the financing structure of a project, so the first one is a uh, I, I refer to it as a combo loan. Um, that is where the lender comes in, whether it's a bank or private money, and they fund a portion of the land acquisition. So, if, say for example, I find a lot I find a lot in in North Park that I like and I want to submit an offer on it, and I get it. Well. The lender will, you know, say it's like a you know a million dollar lot. The lender will cover up to you know a certain percentage of that lot purchase price, and then they'll have a construction holdback loan that I can draw from once the project starts going vertical and I start building. The second scenario is a um, a cash out option to where I buy the land 100% cash. So in this case, I'd spend a million dollars buying buying the lot instead of around 600 to 700000 So I'm more money out of pocket on this, but then after I get approved plans and permits and X amount of months to build the project, then I'm able to get cash back um, to be able to use that cash within the project to build the project forward. The third option is a construction loan only where it's similar to the cash out, where I put down hundred percent on the, on the land. So it, i put down a million dollars for that North park deal. And then once I get approved plans and permits, then the lender comes in and I don't get any cash back. I just get a construction loan for the actual vertical construction. So that process vary that the timeline of that process varies in Austin and Tampa, it can last anywhere from, uh, 12 to 24 months. Uh, depending on if you're doing a single-family house or you know four to eight-unit townhome project, you know two to four unit or two to eight-unit townhome project. Um, in San Diego, though, it's uh, a longer process because the city takes longer to review the, the and approve the plans and permits. So um, the the combo loan option in San Diego is kind of thrown out because if I'm trying to get an 18-month loan in San Diego. Um, for the dirt and construction they're going to take you know six to twelve months on a on a fast track to get the approved plans and permits and say it's 12 months that means i only have six months left to build the project and so which is obviously we all know that's that can't happen and so ultimately when i'm purchasing a lot in san diego I would have to come to the table with a, a million dollars to purchase that new, that, uh, North park lot. And then hopefully just the city approves the plans and call it eight months. And then from there, that's when I can go, go to a lender and say, Hey, look, I have approved plans. I have approved permits. This is where the lot said, this is what I paid for the lot. Can you give me a cash out loan so I can get money back so I can move the project forward and build it? Or can you just give me a construction loan?
0: Amazing! Wow, that's a that's a comprehensive answer. I really like that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so, I guess the next phase of that, and um, we're probably skipping a bunch of phases in terms of project planning and um, and that kind of stuff, and, and kind of design. Um, do, you, do speaking of which, do you have like a cookie cutter series of designs, or is everything custom or bespoke? Or-
1: so I so. Um- Uh, similarly to the general contracting world, how we don't self-perform anything. We hire out all the subcontractors to build the project for us. That's what we do on the design side as well as the the developer. I don't currently have an in-house architect or in-house interior designer or in-house civil engineer or structural engineer or geotechnical company. We hire out all of that Um, so we hire an architect, we hire the whole design team. And so that's how we have to make sure that the team that we're hiring, um, is a good one because if the architect doesn't put together good plans that can't be built well by our construction or our our general contracting business, then it's, it's harder to get the project built. So what I'm trying to say is long windedly is that each project we have, um, uh, a creative new architectural plan. I like it. And that uh, Alex, that's the perfect segue
0: into my next question, which was how do you pick good? Um, I guess, including architects and engineers and people like that, but how do you pick good contractors and how do you, how does that process work and how do you manage them from a distance?
1: So good. I mean, good question. I mean, honestly, it's like, it's a lot of relationship base. I mean, I'm looking at the architect's experience. I'm looking at the projects that they've uh, designed in the recent past. Um, you know, if I'm in the future trying to do a mixed-use or apartment complex building, uh, I'm not going to hire an architect that's only worked in the single-family home space. Um, so I want to make sure the, the design that I'm projecting and trying to develop on, on the lot that the architect has the experience in that in. In doing previous designs um, of that of that type or similar type um, and then same thing for the subs. so uh, I make sure that the subs that I'm getting bids from have experience building the same type of structure that I'm trying to build so it's just it's it's an experience piece um, it's a relationship piece uh, and I especially on the design side I love I love architects that know the code well. They go out there and hustle that, you know, can actually inform me of things that I didn't know. Um, And then, you know, honestly, whenever I, you know, that's the case, even on on the subcontractor side, I'm like, okay, I think I need to really consider hiring this person.
0: Yeah, I guess it's there's an exchange with an architect, right? That you don't, you want
1: them to feed back and say, have you thought about not just, oh, let me draw that for you. Right. Well, well. well, The example is this: is like you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to build a, you know, in Tampa, if I'm trying to build a six thousand square foot house on a lot, in one of those neighborhoods, in like say say the Beach Park area, and the city comes back and says, "No, you can't do that. You can only do a fifty-five hundred square foot house." If I don't, if if I'm not aware that the city's wrong, uh, I'm just going to say, "All right." Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll build a smaller, house, a, a smaller house. Well, if the architect who should know the code better than I do because I'm hiring them for that responds back to the city, hey, if you reference development code XYZ and presents that to the city and, and convinces the city, hey, we can actually, we can actually build a 6,000-square-foot house here, um, then you know, I, I know that I've hired the right person. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I, I really like that. I think yeah. that's um, sage-like advice, right? Um, have you had yeah. kind of, in terms of then experience with, with contractors, have you had any kind of nightmares or challenges or what what, what does that look like?
1: Um, well, I mean, no, I mean, any, I think any nightmare is relative because it just depends on how you take it. I mean, in the construction world, there's going to be massive you know, cost increases. There's going to be unforeseen conditions. There's going to be, you know, change orders that come that you're like, Oh my God, this is going to totally break our construction budget. But at the end of the day, you have to remain like at a higher level perspective of like, you know, we're going to get through this, Mm -hmm. you know, this sucks, but let's use this as a learning experience in the future. Um, And as far as like many bad experiences, I can't really say that there was many. It's just, you know, a lot, of comments that I personally get, you know, I'm 29 years old and a lot of these subs that I'm like writing the contracts for with the specific scopes, um, getting them to sign the contracts, date them, you know, initial them so that we have an agreement to move forward um, is that we'll get into the project um, and they'll disagree with something that I'm saying. and, And they'll be like, man, I've been doing this for 35 years, dude. You're 20, you know, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. Like you don't know anything. (laughs) And so, you know, I just kind of like, I'll I'll shrug it off, laugh, be like, yeah, totally. Like you've, you you know, way more than I do, but we have this agreement that you signed and you have to move forward with this. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, because I think, you know, when you, when people refer to contractors, especially in the renovation world, there's a lot of negative talk about them because, they're just, you know, they're perceived as liars and you know guys that run away and don't do great work. And so, I'm trying to flip the script mm-hmm. with the uh, understand with the uh, current perspective of contracting because I think, you know, you do you can get affected if you let it affect you, mm-hmm. um, but if you don't let it affect you. And you can just shrug it off, laugh about it and be like, dude, this sucks right now, but we got to figure this out. So let's, you know, let's put our heads together and so we can push our project forward. We've only had positive experiences with with contractors here in our limited
0: um, work we've had done on a few different uh, different places. That's and good. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting, right? It's um, you should shop for value rather than price, <laughs> I guess, is my takeaway, right. like a lot of things in life. Um, so, yeah, it's. It's super interesting to, you know, don't, don't order things by the cheapest, order it by
1: the, uh, the best value. That's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really good point because in, in my world, typically the guy that comes in at the lowest on the contracting side versus somebody that comes in the middle or highest price point, typically the, you know, not all the time, but five to six times out of 10, the, the guy that's in the middle, um, will typically be the best option price-wise and Mm -hmm. and experience-wise. It's like ordering wine in a restaurant. Yeah. Go for the middle one. Yeah, 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 pretty much. (laughs) Totally.
0: Love that. Um, No, that's that's awesome. I think um, what's what's interesting is um, kind of how you underwrite and how you're changing that. In, you know, with changing rates, and you said cost, you know, cost per square foot of development. What, what does that look like uh, today? Is that there, is there kind of different math you're having to apply?
1: Yeah. So, how do I explain this like the fastest way possible? So, my, my current roles as is, is the owners of these companies um, that, that I have are um, investor relations, so bringing in investor money, uh, acquisitions. So, I have to know how to underwrite the deal. Uh, to be able to submit an offer and then to be able to pitch the investors on the return that they would get at the numbers that I'm projecting um, uh, and then the numbers like vary from location to location so for example like Tampa you can build luxury products at225 dollars a square foot on the construction side um, in Austin, you can build a luxury product for, three, for $325 to $400 a square foot on, on the construction side. And then in San Diego, it's $400 to $450 a square foot. So as you get up to those different levels of markets, uh, you know the construction values change, which um, uh, affects the numbers. Uh, and all that stuff. So, I mean, I have a spreadsheet that I throw everything in. I'm making sure that I'm reviewing the the development codes. Um, I, I make sure that I have good architects, good um, land attorneys, um, arborists, uh, surveyors, um, uh, geotech people that can do the uh, soils test reports, mm-hmm. uh, zoning consultants, all those types of people that are on the initial... Uh, purchase review side of hey you know they can call this out and say hey alex this is not a good deal i know you like i know you ran the numbers on this but there's the the reason why this is not a good deal is xyz and i'm like all right you've been doing this longer than i have this is your expertise lane i'm like all right i'm dropping this one i'm moving or they may tell me the other the other way around Mm -hmm. dude this is a great deal let's let's move forward yeah best money you're ever going to spend right we
0: were on a we're on a canyon and we got a geological uh, survey done it was like four hundred bucks, and the guy came out and did some tests. And it, you know, he's like, "Oh, it's all good." I'm like, "Sweet, best four hundred dollars when yeah. I'm asleep in my bed on the side of a canyon.
1: I'm not going to just you slide right." It's always uh, it's always a cover in your ass <laughs> so for sure. Yeah.
0: No, I love that. I think that's uh, that's that's really fair. Um, in yeah. terms of um, the, I guess the um, investor side, how does how does that work? Do you have a do you mail out to people, or how do you how do you work that side?
1: So I, my, my investor strategy is a 506C, which that term means uh, I only take on accredited investors. Um, and at, at typically, you know, each project varies but, um, on the minimum investment, but the bare minimum investment, um, depending on the structure, is typically a $100,000 investment. Um, and that can change depending on the project. Um, you know, there's a project in Tampa that I have under contract right now that's going to be $200,000 minimum investment. Um, and so how that works is I underwrite the deal. Um, the investor makes or um, I factor in an 8% targeted annualized preferred return on the money that's given from the investors um, at an at a 18-month hold for a single-family house. And then for them to make more on their investment money uh, I give 15 to 25% of the back end uh, value of the the structure once it's built so those two percentages added together um, I underwrite at a minimum 30% return um, in 18 months and so how that works is John is um, say for example for this Tampa deal you know, I need $900,000 from investors for, for the deal to work and go through. So how that, um, and I'm underwriting the deal at an 8% preferred return and a 15% um, profit split on, on the end value, um, which equals the 30%. I create an address LLC for the purchase of whatever, you know, say it's a 123 Main Street in Tampa, um, I create one two three Main Street LLC, and the investors who invest the nine hundred thousand, they own fifteen percent of that LLC, and then I own the eighty five percent as the majority owner, um, and that's created for the purchase of the lot, and so ultimately, you know, I've seen so many guys and gals run around in this real estate, residential real estate development space and just find a lot, build it and sell it. And I've had, you know, I don't even have enough fingers on my hand of guys and gals that have been older than me, that have white hair, that are 20, 10 years older than me, 30 years older than me, that have told me, it's like, man, Alex, I really wish I would have held on to more of my Mm -hmm. products that I built. Whenever I was your age, and so I'm just like, man, I'm not going to be one of those one of those people that's going to be older and be, and be like, dang, I really wish I held on to more of these luxury products. And so ultimately, how I uh, how I underwrite and structure the deal from the start is for the investors to be paid back through a back end refi, and then I pull out equity and cash um, from the deal because I'm. My development loan is not as leveraged as other people. So I I try to target a 75% LTC or below, which means that I'm putting down 60 to 75% down on the lot purchase. More times than not, I may just buy the lot 100% cash. So what that does is that decreases the construction loan. And that decreases the lender loan mm-hmm. so that whenever I finish the product, when I'm trying to pay them back with the refi, then that that loan amount's lower. Mm-hmm. And so then that gives me more equity into the actual deal um, after that development loan's paid off. And so in theory, there's enough equity in the deal to cash out a portion of the equity and pay back the investors with their original investment with their preferred return. And then with the profit split of the in value of the product, if there is not enough equity um, gap or um, equity margin to get the uh, the full cash out to pay them back from the you know to to meet the thirty percent return in eighteen months, then we'll pay out as much as we can, mm-hmm. and then what's ever left over of the initial investment that they gave, I roll that investment into. The hold of the project, and so then over time I get the luxury rents per month, and I pay them. You know, after paying the mortgage, I pay them all the profits of those rents directly to the investors until they're fully paid off.
0: Wow!
1: Once and then when they're fully paid off, they still own a portion of the asset, and then and then they get mailbox money.
0: That's so, awesome. You know,
1: yeah, so it, it, can, it can work in both scenarios. I just, dude, I'm 29. I don't want to be 49 to be like, damn, I really wish that I held on to more of these things because nobody in my family is doing this and I want to be doing commercial projects. And so, you know, in theory, hopefully five years from now, I have three to five uh, builds that, you know, I bought, purchased, you know, I bought, developed, built, and held on to. Whether it's with investors or not, partnered up on the end, um, where they're in Austin, Tampa, and San Diego, and then if I need to sell any of them, I can, or I can just hold on to them, and then I can then scale up to the more commercial side of development um, after this, after the success in the residential single-family home, townhome side. So um, there's more of a long-term play here for sure. That's so cool. I bet
0: your investors are happy with uh, with all that's going on in the market to have that. A little bit of
1: extra yeah, headroom. Head, I, 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 I haven't seen <laughs> I, I haven't seen many people in my space offer that level of return with this, you know, given the market mm-hmm. status. So I mean, you know, I send out monthly investor emails um, and just make sure that I'm communicating with them religiously of what's going on, if we're ahead of schedule, <clears throat> if we're behind schedule, uh, and all that stuff. I mean on our on our um, construction side, we utilize a software. Excuse me, that that tracks the the construction schedule. It has all the estimates in there, so that it can just spit out like a monthly report, mm-hmm. and it shows them where we're at in the construction process and all that stuff. So, yeah, transparency
0: um, is always good as an investor, and uh, yes, I, I, I invest in in actually similar. Um, you don't get any ownership, but I get a thirty percent over two year return um, through my retirement account in the UK. Okay. Um, well, man,
1: I mean, if you, uh, if you're open we'll, to invest, we'll invest have to have a
0: conversation. So. <laughs> <Like> a <project. laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that sounds, sounds really good. Um, I want to be mindful of, of your time, Alex. And, um, yeah, so I want to uh, thank you. Um, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Um, so, uh, social media, um, Instagram is just Alex and Abnett. That's A L E X I N A B N E T. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just search my name and also Facebook. Um, My, you know, love getting out my cell phone number. It's 318 780 6513. Call or text me. Happy to chat about any um, future investment opportunities or if you're involved in the San Diego, Tampa, or Austin markets. Um, And yeah, you know, feel free to reach out anytime. Amazing. I feel like the time went too quickly, Alex. Thank you so much. Absolutely, John. This was great. Thanks for uh, listening to me ramble.
0: <laughs> no, at all.
1: And um, we'll be back next week. Cool.
0: Thank you for listening to the Investories podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories podcast.